here we are again. It is the Harley Quincast Mad Love. And if you're listening and you're under 18, go away! No, seriously. This is an adult show and an adult podcast to go with it. So if you are too young to watch Harley Quinn TV, sadly, you are too young to listen to this crazy little podcast of ours. So go on. Toodle off. There are plenty of other podcasts you can be listening to, young person. But soon, when you're old enough, we'll be waiting. Three, two, one. Here we are, episode 11 of season one of Harley Quinn, and we are riding the Harley Quinn Highway. With me tonight is Brad. How are you? Hey, hey, I'm good. Hope everyone else is doing okay. We're alive, we're living, we're kicking ass. And with us also is the mighty All Hail Kendra. How are you, Kendra? I'm super mighty, doing well. Hope everybody else is too. Mighty. And of course, smooth Seth Singleton. How are you, my brother? I'm going to be honest with you, Steve. I can't get the song Life is a Highway out of my head now because of this episode. If you're not familiar, it's an early 90s song that is often lambasted and challenged and questionable at best. But because of this episode, that song will be going through. And if I break into song, I'm very sorry. Don't be. You're <laughs> it's strange how minds differ because all I can think about is highway to hell. So nice. um, like I say, let's let's move on briskly. <laughs> And get our kicks on Route 666. So, we start the show. Obviously, this is a, a second chapter of, of, of the rescue of one Pamela Lillian Eiley, a.k.a. Poison Ivy. She's been trapped and captured by the Legion of Doom. And we find her about to be experimented on. Hey, but even though she's tied up, she's no meek, helpless woman. She had her hands, her Second Amendment rights. And as long as they go with background checks and common sense, <laughs> Brad, please talk to me about this amazing, amazing opening sequence this episode. Yeah, you got to you got to love Ivy kicking ass. And, you know, it's uh, it's fun to see that side of her. And, you know. You brought up what I was going to mention, and that's the whole uh, and the Second Amendment. But of course, I support background checks and sensible laws. <laughs> I would expect I would expect nothing less from Ivy. I mean, come on, she's the <laughs> most level-headed character on this entire show. So, good for you, Ivy, in supporting a sensible uh, solution or approach to uh, the gun violence issue. Uh, Kendra, what do you think? This sequence actually threw me back to an anime show uh, called Elf and Lead, because in the beginning of that, we see a young lady who seems completely innocent take out a bunch of people who she shouldn't be able to take out. And the way that Pam does it with, with either, you know, with a gun, with a knife, I mean, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. I loved watching this one come out. And then, of course, her quips about the gun laws absolutely made it masterful. Seth, what about you? Well, overall, I, I have to be honest, I was lulled in by the uh, guard commissary discussion. It sort of 
gave me that false sense of like, oh, we're just dealing with, you know, a trap scenario. But I love her breakout. I love the way that we see her attention to the guard's badge. The moment they release her restraints, she immediately grabs the weapon, stabs the guy, grabs the card. And then, yeah, that great <laughs> exchange of, oh, well, don't worry. There's no plants around. She's just another harmless woman. And she's like, yeah, except for my hands and my God-given Second Amendment right. Of course, I have a responsible background. You know, she – I'm going to say it. We at some point need to talk about when Ivy gets her own show and when we can watch her just sort of like being a badass on a regular basis, right? Because there's there's something about that that just makes the most sense to me. Um, everything about – you know, her her moment, um, it was very emblematic of all of your favorite um, badass female figures in a fight scene, whether you love Hannah or so many other great programs in which a woman just totally belies one thing and then just bam, <laughs> starts smacking them around like crazy. Steve, how did you like this intro? Brad and Kendra and I have, have spoken frequently outside of this show about how Lake Bell is poison ivy and honestly we all think that she could do it live action as well now could you imagine if if by some wacky world scenario my um idea of having alex danvers from supergirl move to gotham and become the new batwoman if she could um meet up with, with other characters or as kendra really quite rightly pointed out if um brianna kuoko took the role of batwoman now let's think who is brianna's sister Kaylee and Lake Bell, three live action Gotham City sirens. My ghast would be well and truly flabbered. I tell you, if that happened, I would be a happy, happy man. And as for Second Amendment rights, background checks and common sense, hopeless woman. Hmm. Even when the gun's out of bullets, watch your forehead. It's coming right at you. It's <laughs> absolutely awesome. Poison Ivy. I salute you, whether you're being trapped by horrible Legion of Dune cronies or dun, 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 the master of fear, the scarecrow. Brad, what did you think of his first proper full on role in the series so far? Uh, you know, I, I do enjoy the scarecrow. Uh, it, it, I wouldn't necessarily say like with so many of the characters on the show that he's my uh, favorite version of the character uh but i i do enjoy it i think the the british accent is a nice touch and help browns out the character um definitely definitely has uh you know a dark side as we would expect um i i think i i would want to see more of this character to get a, a full judgment uh on him uh kendra what do you think I actually have to agree with Brad on that. I mean, I think of any of the characters that we meet, I mean, he just, he doesn't have any wow factor to him. And that's kind of weird because Scarecrow's usually, you know, for lack of a better pun at the moment, he usually packs quite a punch, but for this one, he doesn't really. The only thing I think that's really considerate of him is he made sure to have a vegan blend beer toxin just for Ivy. So, I mean, that. <laughs> If we're going for, like, brownie points, he, he scores there. But I just – it could have been anybody, honestly, of the lower ring. I mean, I would have rather had Bane. But I guess it's just because he's redshirt mentality. I just don't care. 
Seth, what did you do? What do What do you think about about Scarecrow? <laughs> uh, boy, Scarecrow, the potentially, at least in this version, most unassuming of threats. I mean, there there is something that belies his or that word keeps wanting to come back into my mouth, and that's not it. That's not the word I want. There is something that's sinister about the way he is so kind and civil and genial. It helps that he's got this like very um, eloquent British accent, which just feels so polite and thoughtful and, and always just so considerate. Um, and there's also something that just feels like he doesn't really see himself as the bad guy, as he clearly points out when he says, nervous about surgery, don't worry, insurance will cover it. Oh, no, they, they actually wouldn't cover that. Um, I, I think we should all really agree they're the villains here. You know what I mean? There's just this lovely delivery where I, I mentioned it, I think, maybe last episode, but I really felt it with this one, um, that greater continuance of the Christopher Guest performance from The Princess Bride. Now, I'm about to torture you. And I'd like you to tell me how you feel, honestly. Please, don't hold back. This is for posterity. There was something just lovely about that way that I felt that he emulates that that presence. And there's something... I mean, don't get me wrong. John Malkovich, when he does that, like, very, like, I'm getting quiet and then much louder and scary. But there's also something scary about the quiet voice that's just like, and now I'm going to cut you up. Mm. So there was just so many lovely moments throughout this whole thing. Uh, <laughs> I I probably could have picked anyone to be the villain that we have to face now, but there was uh, something just sweet and also terrifying about this dreamlike state. And who do you least want to be in your dreams except a master of fear like Scarecrow? How about you, Steve? Yeah, I actually have to say that this version of Scarecrow is a favourite because he is so different. I mean, let's let's think about this very carefully. Um, he, in every other medium, has been truly frightening, just, just his appearance. But this is a quiet, unassuming, again, the British accent really helps. Um, but what's scarier than someone who speaks so lovely to you, draws you in, and he turns out to be the worst monster possible i mean he finds a way i mean harl uh, ivy at the beginning saying uh uh scare toxin oh there's a surprise didn't see that one coming and i thought that was <laughs> brilliant because obviously duh scarecrow but he's found a way for a toxin to work on ivy because obviously she's immune to every kind of poison imaginable so the whole unassuming reverse character of this version of scarecrow i actually think is extremely clever obviously it does help that he's an actor i'm very very fond of uh, um, Roll Coley plays Scarecrow. And anyone else who may recognise him, if you watched iZombie, he played Dr. Ravi Chakrabarti. He was uh, Liv Moore's uh, partner in crime, oh. the uh, coroner. So he is a, a favourite actor of mine and, and someone who is always very entertaining on social media as well. So, yeah, uh, for once, it's finally happened. I, I disagree with a couple of my compatriots. I actually love this version of Scarecrow because it's so completely different to every other that's come before it. So, yep, like it, want to see more. And obviously we see a lot more of lots of many, many things, uh, wild and wacky wings, uh, thick and rich characters, um, Clayface clay losing some clay. Um Harley has to go back and re-recruit her team, and it's a joy to behold. Brad, what did you think of Harley's quest to get the band back together? I, I enjoyed it. I think it's something that 
had happened. She, you know, she's <laughs> eating some crow, as they say. Uh, it's one of those, you know, those moments you know, that I've talked about where you kind of see the change in the character realizing, you know, as she gets what she wants, she realizes she doesn't want it or it wasn't what she expected it to be. And now she's coming around to what was important. And now she has to be humble. And, you know, you can't expect her crew to be, uh, you know, that forgiving. And I guess, you know, sure, it's a cartoon, but I guess she's lucky that they were. Uh, Kendra, what do you think? I think that Frank the Plant got to shine this episode. And him and Harley overviewing the goons and what their protocols were and how those changed <laughs> was brilliant. We went from the, oh, they'll only attack it one, one at a time, and then this poor old man, I'm so lost. It was brilliant. because And you also get great lines from Frank. Like, you know, Harley, I, she's probably getting tortured. No, she's motherfucking getting tortured down there. Frank is genius in this. <laughs> but getting to, to also see where everyone kind of landed after Harley was beautiful, especially Clayface. His was yeah. brilliant. So good. Yeah. Yes, that, <laughs> that was the whole commercial, the whole Riddler thing was, was hilarious. Are you fucking right? I did right? forget to mention that. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> I did forget I to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the delivery. Yes, one of the few times where it came out of nowhere, and I lost it because he keeps following him like a puppy dog. And he's like, "We're live. What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> Seth, what about you? There's some great stuff. For starters, the fact that we now were at least able to illustrate to Harley the change in standard goon protocol, which is uh, really helpful. Because, you know, now she knows, oh, they're doing it all one at a time. And, yeah, Frank shines. I don't think it's light torture. I think it's motherfucking torture. <laughs> There's something about the way that he, like, cuts through the bullshit and he's like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. There is no like about this. It's just happening, okay? Um, Clayface stealing the show <laughs> and Riddler responds, which you brought up beautifully, Kendra. Did you just give me a fucking line read? <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> Who the fuck are you? Uh, <laughs> and the fact that he has to not only first move away from Clay, who's stepping forward, and then has to you know, move away from him off the camera, which the camera follows him. But then <laughs> we have Clay deliver his own, you know, version where he's like, yes, did you see where I put the emphasis? <laughs> like, there was something, I mean, everything was over the top. To where we see Psycho and he's like, yeah, 17. And by the way, he's banging his assistant. And you, <laughs> without breaking a beat, turns on Harley. King Shark. Uh, I mean, I love the fact that we get to see them all in the place where they ended up. And then eventually all back at the mall. Well, Harley does her best to give a speech. But clearly, as Frank points out, you know, she needs a little bit of uh, review when it comes to thesis statements. Steve, how about you, my friend? All of the above. It was just great. A to C, where all the gang had ended up. I mean, for me, Riddler has always been one of the most annoying villains in history. So to see Clayface really get on his nerves following him around, cutting into the scene, telling him how to deliver line. I mean, guys. 
this is the one time in history where Riddler was too fucking pissed off to even deliver the riddle at the end of his TV break. He says to Batman, where it is and how to get to it. And I just thought that was fan-bloody-tastic. And then seeing uh, Dr. Psycho as a carnival psychic and poor old King Shark back to tech support and trying to break into a, a lady's boss's computer system, I just thought was absolutely brilliant. And Harley has managed to do it. She's got back her forever cruise. So I absolutely loved every second of that. It was genius. And um, speaking of forever crew, we have to mention Sai. Oh, wow. Um, this was definitely another great episode, not just for Frank, um, who, who I think has been a plant all along. Oh, dear God. Get me. Save me. Kill me. <laughs> um, poor old Sai Borgman. Now, he wants to join the crew to rescue um, Harley. He's super. He's reliable. And he falls asleep at the drop of a hat. <laughs> Let's talk about Mr. Borgman and his narcolepsy, because it, it, it causes for some... Um, Great scenes throughout the episode. Brad, what do you reckon about poor old Cy this week? Oh, poor Cy. Um, I, I I do enjoy the character. And for some reason with this episode, uh, it, it really clicked to me that it's Jason Alexander doing the voice. And I don't know what it was about this, the, this viewing of this episode that popped that into my head. But I could really hear Jason Alexander and... To me, that made the whole experience funnier. Uh, you know, I, I think I need to look to YouTube or wherever to see if there is any somehow any footage behind the scenes footage of him in the vocal boat booth recording uh, his, you know, th- this character, I think would be really funny. Um, and I'm glad that, you know, he's getting to at least try to join the crew. Uh, good luck, Cy. Uh, Kendra, what do you think? I love Sai. <laughs> but when it comes it. specifically to his narcolepsy, the crew is so mean to him. <laughs> he falls out after making this big speech about how he wants to join them. And they're just tiptoeing away. Like, they don't even care. They're like, deuces, we're gone. We're just going to go ahead and leave you right there and let you have your nap. <laughs> so good at it, too. <laughs> but I mean him being the driver which it's not the first time we're going to see him be the driver this 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 way but it was just great it was it was the best lead up to what's coming that I've seen Seth what about you there's something beautiful about Cy being voiced by Jason Alexander it takes me back to that old USA TV show Duckman do you remember that when he mm-hmm. used to voice Duckman and it was like a precursor yeah. to Family Guy used to get me in trouble with all sorts of people. My parents, I remember I was at a family reunion and decided to throw it on, and my grandmother was yelling at me. Like, there's just, he has the ability to project his voice through an animated character in a way that I I, I really, I wonder what would have happened if during his Seinfeld years he'd played an animated character and just kept the, the thread going. But, you know, moving away from that, his portrayal aside, the ability to just go from a, a rousing you know, response to, well, we were broken up. I was devastated. Oh my God, I can't believe it. I thought this was my forever crew. And and then just dropped like so smoothly. And then knowing that this is your guy driving you in the, uh, as we'll get to later, pretzel wrapped reading her truck. 
watching over yes. your unconscious bodies or, you know, becoming a <laughs> a trans changer, which is a word I hope to say as many times as possible this episode. Steve, you brought this one up. Final thoughts on our good friend, Mr. Sai. Oh, I'm so glad you brought up the trans changer thing. I mean, the 80s was responsible for so many wonderful occurrences, isn't it? The, the Goonies, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, and Transformers, Robots, we'll go, in Skies. <laughs> okay, oh, let's not go there. Um, oh, dear Lord, GoBots. Oh, Seth. You're welcome. <laughs> I will plumb the darkness. I will go in there. Okay. <laughs> Oh, blimey. Armageddon, that was deep impact. Um, no, uh, let's uh, go back to talking about Scott. Sorry, that, that transformation, ow, really, that hurt me to watch. And Brad, like you said with Jason Alexander, again, the hive mind is powerful. I'm so glad you said you want to see him behind the scenes doing that stuff. I'm hoping they've got scenes like that on the DVD Blu-ray release on the special features for Harley Quinn season one, because of that alone, apart from this fantastic series, would be something worth picking up uh, that, that box set for, because I love seeing stuff like that. And you can just, you're right in this episode, he's more Jason Alexander than he's ever been before. You could actually really feel him here. Um, so I, I'd love to see some behind the scenes stuff with him. And, Oh, Again, that transformation. And and would you want someone who falls asleep like that behind the wheel? And I have to go back to one of his slides. When he says he wants to join them, and they all jump down his throat and say, yeah, but the last time you watched over our cute little bodies, you almost threw us <laughs> in the furnace and burnt us alive. He goes, I yeah, but it yeah, you cute little buddies. But it could have been worse. I could have done something worse than that. And it's like he did have something else in mind. Now, this is the Harley Quinn TV show. Lady, gentlemen, I want your ideas. What could I have done to their cute little buddies that was worse than throwing them in a furnace? Brad. Man, you know, that, that throws me for a loop a little bit because, you know, looking – at the episode, I, I I can't get past the idea of what happens later on uh, to you know to all the guards. So we'll probably get to that later in you know in this discussion. But I think that I I don't think that my mind can switch from what happens later on. I think that's what he would have done. I think that uh, I think he's got some. Some of those moves he had up his sleeves uh, that we get to see later. I think that's what he would have done. Uh, Kendra? Dang it, I'll have my mind set. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, the only thing that I could come up with, this is a guy who was in the CIA. He's always going on about how many different missions that he was a part of, how many, how many secret operations that he went out on. Who's to say he wouldn't have tried to do like a transfusion of his blood with one of the others just to see what happens? Maybe maybe that's what he would do. Seth, what about you? Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, pull on some roots here and point to the fact that it was Sai who lost his own sister because he wanted the crossbreeding of different animals, right? So in my mind, 
the first thing is beyond all the sort of sorted twisted sex stuff he probably could have come up with and you can go down that road at your own peril i recommend bringing <laughs> lube that's your own choice but honestly he does if you want to later, doesn't he? yeah well if you want a smooth entry and exit out of a scenario like that you just lube okay baby just lube uh second is uh, for a man who went through a transformation that's more horrifying than what I remember from American Werewolf in London, um, I can only imagine how bad. But really, if I had to go to it, I can see Sai taking everybody unconscious, swapping body parts, and then afterwards making them do like a fight to the death thing with everybody's having different arms, legs, heads, and torsos, and just sort of like, there, perfect animal, perfect creature, the winner of the tournament of death. That's the one that we all agree on. Now, that's not as bad as I can go, but I feel like even for a podcast where we get as crude as we do, and I just used a reference like Lube for getting in and out of a, a very dark tunnel that you probably might want to consider maybe yes or no going into and how bad size mind and deep the rabbit hole goes, but that's where I see Sad going with this one. Yeah, okay. Pull me out of the murk. I need some daylight or I'm just going to stay forever wallowing in the darkness. Steve, save me. I can't because my mind was going in the exact same direction. The fact that the poor sod turns into a station wagon for a start. He turns into a stocker mom car. That was just the best thing ever. I can see Roger Murtaugh driving, driving him in a Lethal Weapon movie. That's all I can get my head behind. Or National and, Lampoon's Vacation, right? <laughs> exactly. Oh, the Griswolds. He he, he could be um, Roll them up. quite easily. <laughs> it's just brilliant. But the whole thing, like you said, the way you're talking about his sister as well and that whole can of worms leads me to think, well, that could be something he had planned for these people or turning them all into trans changes. And the other thing, of course, as well, is that the words cute little bodies kept coming up and it went from being funny to being damn creepy. So, again, my brain was going in the same direction as yours, Seth. So don't don't be too hard on yourself. We're obviously clearly as sick as <laughs> Other. I'm not alone in the darkness. That's okay. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. You, you are my quintessential quintet of superheroes. All of you. We miss you, Kelly. Um, let's go back to the episode. And again, uh, you've you got to applaud writers who can write lines as simple as, gentlemen and psycho, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> when they break into the lab where poor old um, Poison Ivy's being tortured by, by the goons from the Legion of Doom. And I have to ask, guys, is a pretzel-wrapped wiener a thing? And if it is, damn, I really want to eat one. Let's talk about them getting into the Legion of Doom's facility and how hilarious that was. Brad. I'm sure they are a thing, uh, and I gotta tell you, um, <laughs> if I was working, if I was a goon, security guard, and all of a sudden a food truck showed up offering me pretzel-covered wieners, I would think, hey, what did we do to deserve this good reward? I don't blame them. <laughs> I don't blame their excitement. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that was that that was uh, that was pretty funny. My question is: is were there dipping sauces, honey mustard, mustard, ketchup? 
you know, uh, <laughs> that's. I need some barbecue over here. Right. Uh, Kendra, what do you think? I think it's genius that they come up with the most off the wall, but yet so simple things that would actually work. Because I worked at a call center for 10 years and we would have taco trucks that would come up and we would get so excited because on our lunch break, we didn't have to run out to go do anything. We would just go out to the parking lot and go to this truck. And yes, pretzel wrap wieners are a thing. You can buy them here at the store. So just to confirm, yes, those are real. I want some. But I mean, it, it is it's absolutely like they're all ready to go and hit this red button that's, I guess, signals everybody to shoot at the same time. I guess they need a, a red flag. But then this one one guy comes out and he's just like, no, wait. <laughs> he's so excited. He's like, bring him in. It, it's just it's absolutely it, it goes back to just how great these writers are, because it is so simple that this would work. But when you look at the mental capacity of the goons. Of course it's going to work. They're going to see that as a treat, even though, given who they're working for, the fact that that, you know, our bosses are doing this didn't kind of raise any kind of suspicion is crazy. Seth, what about you? Well, I love the fact that on the way over, King Shark is struggling with his motion sickness. And as he projects, don't puke, don't puke, don't puke. Clayface is like, wait, don't, you're going to make... And then, of course, absorbs it all back in <laughs> to which King Shark's like, I don't know how you live with yourself. <laughs> but then to have that transition to pull up in front of the place and, yeah, everybody's ready to just go nuts. Steve, you should know pretzel-wrapped hot dogs are quite the fan favorite at carnivals. I mean, if we're going to tie things back to uh, Psycho's time as a carny, this could have been an idea he came up with, seeing how throngs of people will flock to those. Dipping sauces, Brad, really... Uh, I think you just need the ultimate combination. Everything you mentioned, plus five or six more that just don't make sense. You know what I mean? Like a soy, maybe a sriracha. You know, you like, especially because it, it seems like... Taste- perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> Tastes have gotten a little wilder. They, they, you know, it seems like if you're going to have the pretzel wrapped dogs, you got to have the dipping sauce. My favorite is the one guy who Kendra pointed out sort of stops all the carnage from taking place. And his line, which was just beautiful. Wow, what's the occasion? Oh, they really like us. Oh, it's so good. You think they don't care, but then you know they do. It's like eating my childhood. Now, that that was probably actually, yeah, that there was something wonderful. <laughs> and then turning around as everybody else sort of falls under the spell. And it reminds me of when I would watch Friends with my wife. And there was the episode where Ross is trying to win over the neighbor across the way by sending a fruit basket and they're like, how did you think that would work? He's like, oh, they sent one of those to work once. Everybody was so excited. It was the best day ever. To which one of the other characters is like, your work life makes me sad. And <laughs> you can only imagine for goons, there's got to be a limited number of high points, you know, like maybe the boss kicking in the face and being like, wow, the boss kicked me in the face instead of another goon. So I guess pretzel wrap hot dogs are like, I don't know, like, you know, free day or party time or you know what it is it's pizza day back when you were in elementary school and you guys finally did whatever you had to and you can get you know what i mean i think it's kind of like pizza day steve what was your take on uh the methods employed to get inside the rescue ivy well first of all uh pretzel wrapped 
wiener is something I need in my life with all the sauces, soya and sriracha included. Seth, let me tell you right now, um, I went for a blood test and failed because my blood was 80% sriracha. So um, hot sauce. Mm. <laughs> well, Steve, you know, you do have the spiciest tongue among us. You do spit the most flame worthy words. I wouldn't be too surprised. You are my friend. Fire. Hot sizzling. Yeah, um, <laughs> breaking. Did you guys not get flashbacks of um, Smallville when the Justice League are walking away from that exploding building or Armageddon when they're doing that cool walk and they have clearly got the wrong stuff? When we see Harley and her crew in those hazmat suits that do not fit properly. <laughs> Clayface is busting out of his. Psycho's actually tripping over his because the sleeves and the legs are too long and he has to end up floating off the ground so he stops tripping over it. And they're doing it in slow motion and it's just a thing of absolute beauty. And honestly... Getting in there with the pretzel wrap wieners was a stroke of genius because while half the goons just did not give a shit and they were going to blow the almighty fuck out of that truck, there had to be one guy who looked like my twin separated at birth running out and saying, what? Stop! <laughs> pretzel covered wieners. Let them in. Let them in right now. And, uh, oh, genius. Absolute genius. I, I thought that was fan bloody tastic so so good and when they do get in that line clayface the tumbleweeds that follow they poisoned ivy (laughs) 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 oh damn that just made me absolutely cry with laughter so so brilliant but, um, of course, um, they get in there. <laughs> Harley has to knock out Ivy in, in a very imaginative and uh, very nice way for her best friend. And they have to clench their butt cheeks, which they show on camera, <laughs> and go back into her mind. Now, again, guys, brilliant writing and a great throwback to uh, being Harley Quinn. What did you make of this amazing, amazing sequence of events brad uh just real quick i i'm glad that you mentioned that the whole hazmat suit walking scene um that was just so perfect because not only have we seen that scene from armageddon parody before but we've also seen the walking slow motion to be cool kind of thing parody before and yet oh yeah this worked so well and just how you write how the the costumes fit so the or the the hazmat suits fit so wrong and it was it just perfection it's one of those little details that make this show that that in any other show that that little sequence could have been cliche and stupid but this it just made it work so um and uh and as far as you know, the scene we're talking about now, um, those poor trees, the, that poor little tree, and the wood chipper. <laughs> and did anybody else think that for going into the mind of somebody so obsessed with plants that there was sure a lot of blood? 
in uh, in her mind between <laughs> the tree getting shut up and and King Shark. Uh, you know, it, it seemed to be a heck of a lot of blood. Uh, but anyway, Kendra, what do you think? <laughs> there was a lot of blood, but I mean, from 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 my theory on that, I mean, I guess it makes sense because Ivy has shown time and time again that she gives no fucks about humanity. You know, she cares about plants. And it makes sense that if she feels that that big of a bond with them, that when they die or when she sees them or imagines them dying, that she sees them in the way that we would other humans. So maybe that, that or maybe that's the nightmare version of it. Maybe that's the way she sees it. But I loved the part where Harley knocks out Ivy because <laughs> Psycho looks at her like, what the fuck are you doing? We don't have to do that. And she's just like, oh, okay, well, we're going to go in there and nobody mentioned this ever again. It never happened. But, I mean, <laughs> the, inside, the inside of Ivy's mind versus what we saw with, with Harley, because we went back to that one for a sec, it's a lot different. Like, Harley's was a museum almost of, like, artwork that featured moments of Harley's life. Whereas for Ivy's, we have... We have a jungle, which makes 100% sense for me. Seth, what about you? Well, it did make a lot of sense when you compare the two. Just how, I mean, you have to imagine from the chaos that Harley came up in and to be as successful as she was, the way she would probably have to compartmentalize everything and keep the exteriors all looking pristine, you know, like make sure everything looks nice on the surface. With Ivy, we don't get that. Or I'm sorry, as Cy calls her, Evie, because Evie's counting on you. Um, <laughs> and and we get to go inside and see that world. Um, I, I love the fact that you brought up, uh, you know, that everyone's pointed out how Harley decides that she needs to knock out Ivy by punching her in the face. To which Psycho's like, yeah, you, you were already unconscious. So really all you did was just punch your friend in the face, which is a really straight way of putting it. But then we go inside. And Brad, I mean, at first I was kind of stunned by the blood and then I realized, yeah, but to to Ivy, these these are more like people than people are. You know, they're they're worth caring for. They they take on all the um, personalities. They become the word I'm going to stumble over anthropomorphized. Um, and through that, we get a chance to see just what the horror is like for her, what it's like to sort of feel that uh, amazing strain of knowing that all around at any given moment plants are being harvested or destroyed or trees cut down and there was something so ominous about that dark shadowy atmosphere where it felt like there were always eyes looking out from those branches those shadows those trees uh, <laughs> but then after all that spookiness pretty much like be themselves because after that thresher chews up the tree Psycho immediately, as they're running, decides, well, we're just going to go ahead and sacrifice old Clayface, do a little uh, telekinesis whammy-bammy, throws him into the thresher, which gets gummed up. <laughs> and Clay does that like, oh, that was brilliant, amazing how you knew that I could destroy the machine without it killing me. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I did. You got it all figured out. But we also get a chance to understand why her mind's that way. And it's the fears that we get a chance to address, which are so prevalent in Ivy's mind. And it's amazing how she's able to keep all of that suppressed the way she does and have this amazing, cool exterior. 
it's like, you know, Harley's all the crazy on the outside, but manicured museum stillness on the inside. Ivy's got the cool, calm, collected, cool as a cucumber on the outside. But on the inside, you can see that she's got this tangle of just so many twisted roots to uh, take advantage of Mr. Steve's punning ways. Steve, tell me more about anything I might have missed. Cool as a cucumber, plant lady, twisted roots. I see what you did there. Well <laughs> done, brother. I have taught you well. <laughs> the Padawan is learning. That was absolutely brilliant. I, I couldn't have punned that better myself. That <laughs> oh, you can. I had faith, my friend. In fact, I raised the bar. You taught me too fucking well. Let's go, goddammit. Let's do the damn thing. <laughs> well, we'll get to that when they actually get to the highway and, and those any little tree on the side road and, and that um, leaf on the windshield. But we'll talk about those I'm later. Leaf on the wind. I'm a leaf on the wind. Absolutely, footly. Um, <laughs> so so good. Yeah, um, that whole comparison again. This show is so damn clever. Like you said, Harley, hello on the outside, and mm, psychiatrist organized on the inside. Whereas Ivy, the complete opposite. Her inner mind is chaos and terrifying and i'm so glad you brought up the whole why are the trees bleeding thing because let's remember again like you said not a single fuck given about humanity but plants are her people and to her seeing them crunched up and destroyed is like a human being seeing another human being ripped to shreds why um the carnage in the room when when ivy wakes up is like um slasher movie to the nth degree and Ivy just says, yeah, I'll ask you about what happened here later. Like anyone else waking up would go, what the actual fuck? But to her, yeah. So that's why I think the trees bleed so much, because to her, they're her people. They're her babies. And that's how she would see it. And um, they might not have blood, but um, that's that's how she probably react to seeing something like that happen. But I think it's telling also that she says that Harley's her worst fear for one reason, but I have a completely different theory, particularly the fact that she's under a hood and dressed like death, like the Grim Reaper. Guys, what's your theory on on the truth behind why Harley might be Ivy's worst fear? Brad? Well, Ivy kind of always considers herself very you know she she didn't want to join a legion of doom she doesn't necessarily have to take place in those 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 group activities she's totally fine blazing her own trail and not needing to follow trends and when harley shows up harley shows her another way she brings in the crew she shows ivy that ivy doesn't necessarily have to to go it alone in those things and i think there's also a certain you know you were saying the differences between the chaos on the inside and the outside well if ivy has so much chaos on the inside when she's around harley that chaos that harley has on the outside kind of that makes her that much more aware of the chaos that she has on the inside so i think that it's there's a little bit of fear there uh kendra what do you think 
Mine goes back to, to Harley's because in Harley's mind, we see her biggest fear is that she doesn't quite understand or know who she is yet. And with Ivy, Ivy's always known what she wants, what her purpose is, what she wants to see out of life. And like you said, Brad, when Harley comes into that, it throws it for a loop because Ivy's always been good at being by herself because she, she despises humanity and what they do to, to Mother Earth. And then here's Harley, who becomes her best friend, and then honestly more than a best friend. And her feelings towards humanity change slightly to allow for Harley. But Harley is this ball of chaos that is spontaneous and never a certain path. It's never a straight road that you walk with Harley. And because you never know what she's going to do, I think that that's the biggest fear for Ivy. And that's why she fears Harley the most, because when she travels like that, where she goes from point A to point B to point C to point D, and then always comes back to the main guy with Joker, it's hard to know where you stand with a person like that, even if they're telling you to your face. So I think that that's probably why she's concerned and scared of the pain that Harley will probably eventually cause her. Seth, what about you? You know, when it comes to Ivy, it's important to keep in mind why she's developed such an affinity for plants. They've never betrayed her in the same way that humans have. And it's a constant cycle of betrayal. There's always someone who wants maybe to work with her, but is using her. There's always someone letting her down. And it's made it hard enough for her to have friends, but... The fact that she pictures Harley as her worst fear, wearing the, uh, well, <laughs> Psycho says it's a little too much like Christmas Carol, but the, uh, the Reaper, the cloak with the scythe, or the scythe, however you choose to pronounce it, pronunciate it, pronunciate, say it, it says to me that she's got a real fear because not only is hardly the closest thing she has to a good friend, maybe a best friend. But she might be the only person she could see herself learning to love or considering it. How far that goes, it's really about how far she can trust. But I really think that there's also a fear in Ivy that if she gives into that, that this one would be the one that would break her that this could actually be the final straw that would sever whatever ties she's tried to hold on to when it comes to humanity not only her own humanity but her connections to it and that if she was to trust Harley completely at some point through no fault or through all the faults of Harley's actions it could be the final blow and for all that she cares for plants more than people there's still a part of her that knows that human side and it's a terrifying idea to cut yourself off from a part of yourself. But it's something that, because it's such a great fear, it's one of those things you could actually be capable of when pushed too far or when betrayed one too many times or to such a degree that it, it breaks you beyond ever recovering from. And that's really what it comes down to me, Steve. I'm not sure if I'm on track with you or maybe I am tuning into the hive mind frequency but it feels overall like when it comes to harley 
it's more than just the others. And at first I thought friendship and then I thought about love. But for Ivy, I really think it's about her ability to keep trusting human beings to even see a, a value in maintaining that human connection. And with Harley, she could get everything she wants or she could lose it all. And I feel like I've been talking for a minute. So I'm going to stop and say, Steve. Like you said, once again, the Marianas Trench is but a puddle compared to how deep this team will go. All of you are 100% on the money. Um, I think the whole robes and the fact that Harley's dressed as death is the giveaway because from her inner psyche, when we see her dad treating her the way he treats her, relationships, family, love are something that have, from that early age, been something that she is terrified of and has distanced herself from in her entire life. And we've seen from her perspective of how she views Harley's relationship with Joker, where Harley was madly in love with this idiot who did nothing but abuse her and torment her and torture her and leave her to die. Um, she probably sees that letting someone in that closely, letting love into her life, and it's happening, she feels it, would be like giving herself up and it'd be a road to her own demise she feels that love could be death for her and it's that endless poem love and death is something that's been uh, proposed uh, and talked about by poets and writers and shakespeare himself from day one so the fact that she sees harley as her biggest fear is because she loves her and she knows she loves her but she fears the repercussions and what that actually could do to her but Guys, ladies, let's be honest here. When we've let someone that deep into our lives, have we not had similar thoughts, similar fears? Am I going to do this? My wife, before we became a couple, was virtually one of my best friends. And that fear of am I going to lose a friend or will it become something more because she's my best friend? That was a fear at the back of my mind. And thankfully, I, I took the plan. We, we went for it. And here we are 31 years later. But um, it's a TV show which is as fucked up as looking over someone's cute little bodies while they're entering someone else's mind. But it can also be a deep and beautiful mirror at the, at the human condition. And the writing team behind this show are fucking geniuses. It's that simple. A, a little thing like Harley dressed as the Reaper. And look how much conversation we got out of that one. Brilliant. <laughs> you know what reminded me too steve oh sorry brad go ahead oh no no i was just agreeing with steve so. oh yeah, i was just reminded if we step outside into another universe for just a second um it reminds me of that john bernthal speech when he was playing punisher on the daredevil show and oh, if yeah. you guys saw it, when he really lays into karen because she's like yeah but this guy, he scares me. That's the one I should stay away from. And he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's the people that scare you that shows how much you love them. It, you know, and then he goes into this beautiful speech about how his wife would just tear him the fuck down, leave him in shreds, broken on the ground. And all he wanted was the fact that he could still have that in his life because once she was gone, he never got it again. And there's that feeling of like, those are the people that – you shouldn't always be running away from. They scare you because of all of the risk, but they also scare you because of all of that possibility. And it 
when we were talking about this, I was like, I always loved that because it was one of the few times I felt someone really gave such a, a an honest and heartfelt expression of love. Like, man, it's not always about the shit that makes you see rose colored glasses as your daily sort of like perspective. It's about the shit that makes you think, Steve, as you so well point out, like, oh, my God, could this ruin everything? And yet at the same time, that's the risk and the reward, right? Like, that's that's what it's all Absolutely. about. <laughs> Sorry to dive in there with that, but it just it was something that I I, I kind of had a feeling more than one on this show would would uh, be familiar with. And if you're listening, I have a feeling you might know what I'm talking about, too. Back to you, my friend. Yeah, exactly. No, no, don't apologize, because that's exactly the kind of response that something as, as brilliantly written and performed as this series should warrant. I mean, Kendra, did you have any thoughts about that whole thing? Because I, I do want to talk about that because it's, it's, it's important in a show of this kind, I think. You know what always struck me as, as crazy with this part right here, especially after doing a rewatch on the episode. I mean, I know we're not to to the part where I'm going to mention, but the fact that Harley doesn't understand or can't can't understand why she would be the biggest fear. I mean, we're talking to to go into the depth and the psychology of it. We're talking to somebody who's an accredited PhD in in you know in this specific field and. She's not able to even even guess or come close to why. And it proves in that in that sense just how close she is to Ivy. Because if this were anyone else, including herself, she would be able to sit back and have a conversation with Harleen Quinzel and figure out why. But she doesn't do that. She just continuously asks Ivy why. And I don't know if it's because she wants to know from Ivy's mouth what it is. Or if it's because she really can't fathom, even with all of the knowledge that she has, why she is the biggest fear for Ivy. You would think that that would be kind of almost psychological 101. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And yet another layer is added to the onion. Thanks, Kendra. Uh, fantastic. I love it. Absolutely brilliant. So... We're speaking about that side of Ivy and her love for Harley and a friendship that clearly, as everyone else has said, much more than a friendship. But I do want to talk about the fact that that fear, that memory of her as a child with her dad and the way he was, she was treated by both her parents by the sounds of things was so, so powerful. Um, do you think that does involve uh, as much of Ivy's present um as it as it should is that why she's so closed and cold because every single person from day one has been that to her what do you think brad oh i think absolutely i uh i think that's definitely what what they were were saying um yeah for sure uh you know and it's we kind of learned that she had a rougher you know growing up than we than we realized, and I think that that definitely left a, a, the scars on her permanently. So I think I think you're definitely onto something, uh, Kendra. I mean, no villain comes from a happy family. I mean, there's there or from a happy background, so there's that to be said of it. But I don't really think that they put that much emphasis on her parents in this one. I mean, they're just a, a quick blip. Because her mom isn't even really there. It's just like she's off camera while the dad's talking. And even he's not even a, a massive part of it. It's more Ivy saying, you let me down. 
than anything than it really being the parents. So yes, it's a nice gesture to see, you know, that Ivy did come from a horrible background. Her parents are a bunch of richy rich assholes, but you know, aside from that, I really don't think that they played a massive part in who she is. Seth, what about you? I, I feel like with the parents that they were just a a temporary place for Ivy's psyche to be during this whole story. It was one of just many layers. It's just one of many places and many examples where she felt different, unwanted. And the example with the giant table and the beautiful, expensive house with the birthday cake and no one around and the father just being a dick. You know, I guess I should have hired some dwarves because clearly you have no friends. Like, Jesus fucking Christ, are you kidding me? Like, it's bad enough that you break out the dwarves thing, which, you know, you can go ahead and get yourself into a stew on its own with that one. But on top of it, I mean, we know that these guys are not in the perfect place because Frank tells us that they live at 111 Creepy Ass Street. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know it's not going to go well. But I, I think that Kendra's really nailed it where it's like, yeah, that's where the setting takes place. But what really happens is um, when things start to go south and she's basically getting devoured by her father and the monster that he changes into, it's her screaming at Harley, you let me die. That's that's. You know, that's where it's at. It's I'm already surrounded by shit and nightmares and horror. But on top of it, you're the person I think might help me. And of course, you can't help me. You let me die. Like that's that's where I started really seeing the fear in her of you, you being the one who caused me to die because you didn't save me because you wouldn't help me. And <laughs> I mean, as we move through it, I, I really kind of feel like Harley's missing this. She's too busy, like you said, just really in the moment. I mean, after that, we get a little bit of that, you know, hey, watch the hair shit bag. I can't pull off of Felicity, which was a nice little moment of breaking the tension there. But, you know, we do feel like what's happening in that scene is less about the parents, although they're a factor. And I'm sure it, it's got to be a, an element anytime you feel different and God knows in my life I've felt different plenty of times. But in that difference where you sort of go, so if I'm noticing this, how much is everybody else? How much are they hiding? What are they really thinking? And whether or not this actually occurred or it was a manifestation of fears or a compilation of real events and manifested fears, it's a moment that only hints at what the deeper issue is, that feeling that the people she wants, she trusts, to look out for her the most are actually the ones that are going to leave her hanging or being drawn into a evil monstrous mouth while screaming, you let me die. Uh, Steve. Yeah. All of that. While the parents weren't physically abusive or didn't beat her or anything, that kind of uh, neglect and verbal abuse and the whole thing that, Oh, you've got no friends. It is painful and damaging to a child. And I do believe that may have set up part of the cold exterior, but the betrayal is compounded, just like you all said, by Harley's betrayal or the perceived betrayal of Harley by, by Ivy. And that was where it really hit home. And we're seeing that um, side of Ivy start to break down and start to soften. And it's something that's an ongoing art from the beginning of the series all the way through to the end of season two. So, yeah, it's, it's just great, great stuff. But. I'm going to put the brakes on the deep psychology now and return to what we truly love about this show, the fucked up madness. And when her dad 
changes into that thing and we see ivy falling into that gaping maw i'm sure everyone here will agree that biting your tongue is fucking horrible and one of the worst things that can happen but a shark biting your tongue brad what did you think about everyone coming to the rescue in this yeah uh, you know once again it shows how tight the crew is when it really comes down to it how they are really willing to sacrifice for each other and and it's and i'm, and I'm going to go back to the blood thing in ivy's head there sure is a lot of blood and that's that's definitely uh, you know another example of that um and it's always good to see king shark get a little little angry uh kendra what do you think it was definitely one way to make the dad shut up um I mean, it, it's brilliant. You get to see King Shark stepping forward for Harley because in the beginning and in the middle, I mean, they're they're not there for Harley at, in in words or even in actions. They're doing this for, for Ivy. So it's kind of nice to see King Shark stepping forward for Harley because Ivy's already out of the picture at this point. Seth, what about you? Yeah, I'm a little torn on whether or not he stepped forward for Ivy or for Harley on that one when it came to biting the tongue. I was like, all right, King, way to step in at this moment. But I'm curious because, as you mentioned, from the mall up until now, there's been a feeling that the only reason they're doing this or willing to get back together is because Ivy's life is in danger. Everybody else is like, yeah, well, why do we need to do this? Wait, Ivy's, we got to save Ivy. We'll do it. We'll all go and risk our lives for Ivy. Uh, <laughs> so I, I had to wonder at that moment, like, all right, is he rescuing Harley? He rescuing Ivy. But I love to see the team come into action. Um, clearly, they know when it's time to get busy. And King Shark, man, that guy's bloodlust. That's awesome. I mean, <laughs> there's moments when it gets out of control. But in this moment, it came in perfectly. Steve? Yeah. It's what everyone mentioned, and I'm so glad you brought up the beginning of the episode when everyone sort of has to be coerced into getting the crew back together, and it's just because they want to save Ivy. But again, looking back on, on instances in life where someone has hurt us, and that person is someone we really, really like and wish they hadn't and want to be friends with, and they come back and they're genuine and they really do want to make amends, um, but you still, oof, I'm not sure about that. I do believe that even though they said, oh, Harley's, Ivy's in danger, let's go save Ivy. They did actually want to forgive Harley. And that was just the catalyst for doing so. So brilliantly put, Seth, when he dives in after Harley, it is for Harley and for Ivy. That group, that fucked up bunch of misfits, a shark, a psychopath with a sweary wary vocabulary um a, a man of clay and two femme fatale is the closest anyone in that group has ever had to having a family and in most cases when a family splinters something brings them back together again and it's only when crimes that are not even blood can solve that that doesn't happen so I just felt a twinge of love when that crew got back together. I knew they would, but it was torture seeing them break up in the first place. And and that was just amazing. And I have to, again, tap Frank on the back and shake his eye tendril plant leaf things 
and thank him for a couple of amazing lines in this episode. Um, what did you have a plot-driven question needing a magical answer and <clears throat> Empire Strikes Back moment and M Night Shamalama shit? <laughs> so let's talk about Frank the Deus Ex Machina and his wonderful lines and ah oh, plot-driven questions. Brad, let's talk Frank. Uh, I, I like seeing Frank, uh, you know, anytime he's on, he, uh, he almost steals the show. And I think that that's kind of why they use the character kind of sparingly in certain ways. And I think that, um, it, it makes sense to use him in an episode where we go into where he's kind of so centered on, on Ivy saving her and getting in her head and things like this. We just couldn't have an episode like that without a lot of Frank. So it was good. It was good to see him. Uh, Kendra, what do you think? I loved getting to see so many characters get supremely frustrated in this episode. You get to see Riddler so flummoxed that he can't even, you know, he's just like, fuck it. It's the corn factory. And then with Frank, he's trying to do these like cool illusions to, to get them onto the path without giving them the answer. Like, you know, he's like, oh, yes, we disappear and we smile creepily like this. And then they get it wrong. And he's just like, really, guys? Like, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Why aren't you doing it? And basically gives them the answer. So it was really nice to see that and, and him be kind of the tour guide of, of Ivy's brain. What about you, Seth? Frank's phenomenal. I mean, the fact that he shows up the way he did is offering that magical answer, as you pointed out, Steve. And then doing all those fun things that remind me of my childhood, uh, breaking into a creepy Cheshire cat smile and leaving behind only a smile, right? (laughs) What about when he says, hey, kid it with the commentary letters, shit. Let this play out. (laughs) Probably one of my favorite lines. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, and uh, so uh, we're Empire Strikes Backing it. Got it. Like that great moment when the the hood falls back and you realize it's Harley. And yeah, that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, dude, totally Empire right then cracking the Darth Vader mask and seeing half of Luke's face. And all I can think of then is the family guy moment when they're like, yeah, it's a dramatic moment, but it kind of stops the story. So, you know, you can go in there if you want, but that's just me. Um, (laughs) And the fact that through it all, Frank, there's just something lovely about him being because here's the thing when you think about frank he's been by ivy's side the whole time so it's really a fun moment to see this personality of ivy embodied by frank's persona occurring in her mind and being that part of her that's just sort of like holy fucking shit do i really gotta fucking explain all this to you jesus fucking christ and then of course as kendra pointed out so brilliantly they they just don't get it like he's like yeah and then it's this Really, you still don't get it. Like, I still have to just go. God. Um, (laughs) All of that. All of that just made it a lot of fun for me because it felt like, uh, you know, you you had Frank, but you also realized who Frank was in this scene. He's part of Ivy. And overall, his his thread throughout every episode has just become more important and more enjoyable because of it. Steve? You called it. That was the bit I really wanted to bring up. Frank is a part of Ivy. 
he is her creation. And while he's blossomed, oh dear, I went there, into a completely separate being all of his own, he, he's, he's branched out, you. gone his own way. He is part of <laughs> Ivy. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, of course, he um, understands her psyche better than anyone, but none of the other fuckers do, and he finds it frustrating, and that is just brilliant and part of his pure charm and his power so let's talk about the evil fuckers that locked ivy up in the first place the legion of doom scarecrow and all that goes with it they're a bunch of fucking pricks but hey at least they're pricks that recycle (laughs) brad give us your thoughts on the legion and their treatment of ivy in this episode it um I keep coming back to it, but it's just like one of those moments where you realize just what a bad decision it was for Harley to try to go and be part of this group. And I think that um, before this episode, and I guess pardon the pun, but a lot of their antics seemed cartoonish. (laughs) But this seemed... A little more truly, (laughs) but this seemed a a little bit truly more evil and and sinister, which Steve goes kind of go back to what you were saying about how you like this scarecrow so much because he, in a way, comes off kind of charming, but is kind of more twisted than the other villains have been in the show so far. Uh, Kendra, what do you think? I'm proud of them for recycling. I mean, at least they recycle. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I agree with Brad. I mean, they're literally showing you how nasty these Legions of Doom are. And it's such a stark contrast to what you're seeing from the crew, from Harley, from Dr. Psycho, from Clayface and King Shark. I mean, even Ivy, you don't see that style of crime happening and i think that it's kind of a wake-up for all included on how far these guys were willing to go to pull off something that's meant to kill people seth what about you not only is it amazing how far they were willing to go to create something that will kill people but it also goes all the way back to that so when you guys claimed you wanted ivy What did you mean? Because the whole point of inviting Harley was to get Ivy. Now, up until this point, getting Ivy is about, at least it appeared, membership, right? That she's the most powerful, that when she, you know, demonstrates how she can manipulate plants right in front of Lex's eyes, and he's like, nobody else can do that. That's why you're so amazing. That's what we think. Right. We're buying into that. Right. Like hook, line and sinker running away with the line like, woohoo, I got the bait. I'm gold. And this is the hard, sharp yank of setting the hook and knowing that thing is in there because. Guess what? They don't get Ivy. They get Harley. But. Then they decide, well, whatever pretense there might have been about membership, whether it was real or not, or rather this was our plan all along. And now that we can't get her through membership, we're just going to outright kidnap her. It, it shows that the Legion of Doom is willing to do whatever they think is necessary 
in order to accomplish their goals. Initially, it was through praise and flattery and some umpteen number of invitations they sent her away. Then they tried getting her friend. And when that wasn't enough to pull her along, then they said, fine, we'll use this opportunity to remove all of your close ties. And when you're weakest and alone, that's when we take you because nobody's going to come looking for you. I mean, these are some dirty motherfuckers. I don't care if they recycle. You know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's some, uh, you know, some pimps and some other undesirable people are like, hey, I still recycle. I still care about the motherfucking earth. But that doesn't mean these are people you want to be around, let alone hang out with. And uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say it. At some point, we have to talk about the carnage that we get to see before we see the recycling bin, because that <laughs> that's a part of that whole sort of pause where we realize just what size is capable of, along with apparently braiding hair, before we discover that, hey, at least Legion are doing recycles. Hey, Steve, take it, my friend. Exactly that. They should be renamed the Legion of Douche. I have spoken. And, yep, glad you brought it up because that was going to be my next question. Uh, Brad, you mentioned earlier as well. What exactly did Cy do in that room while they were in Ivy's head? Um, The sounds of violence. Brad, enlighten us. (laughs) Uh, It was complete carnage. Um, I'm, I'm assuming it was fast and vicious and uh, yeah and and i think that uh sai had the time of his life uh kind of maybe reliving some of his old uh spy days perhaps but um yeah man he i guess we're seeing how much of a badass i can really be uh kendra what do you think i want to know if there was like a need for wd-40 here as well or coconut oil (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because every time that Ty does something, unless it's the unless it's the phone, the phone is the only time we haven't heard any creaking or, you know, outright painful sounding mechanics. I want to know what it sounded like when all of this arsenal was coming out, like we're in the middle of a Looney Tunes cartoon. It was absolutely brilliant watching his his face when you know they were like, "Well, what happened here? I watched your cute bodies." It was great. So what about you? <laughs> what? I said I'd look over your cute little bodies, and I did it. I understand why there's all this complaining. And who knows why guards commit suicide, right? <laughs> there were so many great things about that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, when you were saying what's it sound like, all I could imagine was like somebody sticking a finger in a tomato and just constantly like squelch, squelch. Or uh, what those old radio oh. show guys must have had to pull off in order to make sound effects <laughs> back when they. So it's like, oh, I wonder what sort of, you know, manipulations would create the sound that would make us all believe those were, I don't know, some like 13 odd appendages that appear to protrude from size body. Of course, we have that great moment where we discover what's going on first through Ivy's eyes when she and the rest of the team become conscious. She rolls over. There's a dead guard. <laughs> And then it's like the camera pulls back and it's, it goes left and then pans right. And you're just like, oh, fuck. Oh, oh, yep. fuck. Oh, my fucking God. Did they blow up things? Are those what is plasma is blood. It's not supposed to be all like slimy, goopy, stretchy. Like, <laughs> what? Sigh. What? 
you know, what'd you do? <laughs> it was it was pretty awesome. Um, I, I really felt like overall the best part was that in that moment, we also get a chance to see what Kendra, you were talking about, is Harley is so fixated that she's not even really caring about that. She's like, so Ivy, are you afraid of me? Because I always ask for a dessert menu at the end of dinner and that takes dinner five minutes later. <laughs> like, that's it. That. Nothing about the blood or the carnage or anything. And and for me, there's something about Ivy, too, when she pauses and she's like, well, no, actually, it's more about the fact that you never actually order anything. I know. It's just I always remember we have cookies at home. And you know what I mean? Like, they're surrounded by bloody goop and god-awfulness. And <laughs> what they're talking about is, is the reason you're mad at me because of the dessert menu? Because I don't only do that. Because, you know what I mean? There is just this great disconnect. While the rest of us are like... Can we please? Can, can we please? Holy fuck! Are we not going to talk about what Sai just did? We're we're not going to do it. We're moving on. Dessert menu. That's it. Really? Ah, shit! And now we're off the Legion of Doom recycle. Son of uh, Steve. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Literally, we see Sai. Oh, you don't see anything. We just see the repercussions of what he's done. But. If it's anything to see what he did to all those hench people and goons, it pales into insignificance to what we see him do to himself with the whole trans changer thing. So obviously we're coming to the grand finale of this episode, the action scenes, end all action scenes, the ride down the Harley Quinn highway in the Cy Borgman station wagon. Now, let's talk about that transformation, whether he does need more WD-40 and coconut oil and the Harley Quinn Highway itself with that statue. And most importantly of all, does Ivy need anyone? Because that woman is next level awesome. Brad. I think that she doesn't want to want anybody else in certain ways, but I think that she still does. But even though... She wouldn't, when it comes right down to the brass tacks, she wouldn't, she can handle it. But I think that deep down, she does, she does want it. And, you know, in the scene, you said it so right. The action scenes to end all action scenes. I felt like I was watching like a a movie, like like a a live action, big, like you were saying, Fast and the Furious. Uh, It it was, uh, it was that kind of big and bold. And I, I, I gotta love uh, Doctor Psycho when he when they fly over the weapons cache and he gets the rocket launcher. Taxpayers' money pay for this. And I was thinking, man, could you imagine if that was reality? <laughs> I was like, wow, that's it. Yeah, and uh, you know, and Harley, you should have thought about the design before you just went crazy. Uh, you know, because she she did get to design it because she threatened to nuke the city. Uh, Kendra, what do you think? I love that they confirmed video games in the DCU because this is Rainbow Road <laughs> from Mario. Yay! <laughs> I was like, okay, that's awesome. So obviously Harley plays the Mario Kart. Awesome. But, I mean, the transchanger thing, it was a whole other level of awkward, painful silence on this end. Because watching him change into that, yes, absolutely throw him into a vat of WD-40 or Bengay or coconut oil or whatever it takes to help him. But 
my favorite part of this was back to back right after he he changed into the I, I would almost call it a woody station wagon which adds a whole nother level to seth's argument earlier about lube but <laughs> <laughs> wow you are welcome and i am thankful <laughs> but the sign on like not only does it have the countdown for them to race but underneath of it is a brilliant line that says tax dollars well spent said no one. I loved every back to back to back to back pun that was in this, this little, little section of like two minutes. Seth, what about you? This was just such a wonderful combination of absurdity. Yeah. The tax dollars well spent, quote no one uh the countdown (laughs) the fact that there's like that revving thing next to each other like you know when you're kind of you know i had a couple of friends with some decent mildly fast cars and suddenly we're up at a light and they rev the engine and i'm like what's happening wait we're doing this this is happening we're we're punching off at a light (laughs) so to get that same sort of like high school late teen sort of vibe from this and then following it you know the acknowledgement from harley like i'm kind of regretting some of my creative choices but you know um i love that you bring up (laughs) that we're we're in a mario world experience which clearly points to some of the foundational parts of harley's psyche and where she drew from when she actually designed the highway uh brad loved the uh Drive over the weapons cache, <laughs> which is a ramp leading to a rocket launcher that drops down and he does that. Yeah, taxpayer dollars paid for this? Like, hold on a second. <laughs> but, Steve, to your question about whether or not Ivy needs anyone, man, it is so hard to tell because there's that thing about Ivy. She she takes on those qualities of a, of a Hannah, of uh, – I can think of so many other, like, amazing – action heroes who can just they they've got these skills they've learned to use them they're not proud of what they do but when push comes to shove you know shit goes down and the way ivy is so focused because it's like well what's easier to deal with right now my feelings for harley and the fears that she experienced in my brain or killing all these motherfuckers simple choice kill all and she's hopping from van to van she takes out the one by covering the windshield in ivy uh, the other one, she's looking for some kind of plant and discovers the leaf, the leaf on the wind, springs it through the window, cuts the guard's throats. <laughs> and the whole time you're thinking to yourself, I don't think she really needs the team, but she wants them. She wants that sort of like thing in her life. But everything about the giant obscene loop, uh, so many fun moments with psycho puking, which I personally had to love. Uh, <laughs> And the way that we find out that Sai's got a nickname for Harley, like H-Bomb, which was just pretty badass. Um, overall, I mean, it's kind of hard to top the fact that Kendra took my lube statement to the nth degree with the Woody station wagon. Because clearly, uh, <laughs> thank you. clearly, it was all leading to a big climax, which is, of course... Harley firing <laughs> on her own statue <laughs> and making a choice between something that represents her or something that's more important about representing her friendship. Steve? Oh, 
sequence <laughs> on the highway was just fantastic. And it's like everyone said that in terms of power, Ivy needs no one. She is a one woman wrecking crew. But the way I see it is that she's the muscles, but everyone else is the emotional support because there is a, a slight bit of self-doubt with Ivy because she can't let anyone in. So she closes herself off. But when she lets go, I mean, the, the amount of fucking carnage she wreaks in a hospital gown, no less, in this episode is awe-inspiring. She's incredible. Any plant on the side of the road and that leaf. And here, prepare yourselves. I've scraped the bottom of the barrel here um, with that leaf in, in the windshield. I mean, she, she definitely made those guards turn over a new leaf. Wow, what a pain in the neck. And I'll leave it <laughs> Right. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I love you all. And um that highway and like I said, the dis the dis <laughs> the statue. I mean, seriously, Harley, what the actual fuck? It's it's like you say, it's the rainbow. All it needs is is the mushrooms and, and Bowser and it's straight out of Mario. And with that statue at the end of it, but um it's just, and again, I, I do apologise. I do love you all, but the way she finally defeats um, Scarecrow's goons and, and, and wrecks his truck is is by blowing up her own statue. So literally, um, they were defeated by Harley giving them head. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. thought that was absolutely <laughs> amazing. Oh dear! This you're not going to hell, Steve. But it could be a very bad play. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. You know it. And of course, we get that cliffhanger after the the the, the dangerous head scene, where um, the scarecrow's truck actually hits the Gotham Reservoir, and the infections and the carnage and the OMG. How is this going to lead into next week's episode? So let's talk about that closing scene and. Um, tremendous violence that follows brad yeah i think this show is really good for kind of the the cliffhanger moments that it has and this is a good example of that and that's not something you see a whole lot in cartoons uh, and that's that's another thing that I'm, I'm learning to respect about the show as I, as I do the rewatching, how the arcs have been created through this, throughout this season. Now that I've seen every episode going back again, I know where it leads to, and it's just the, the kind of the infrastructure and architecture that they've put up to create this season is uh, so amazing. And it is those little cliffhanger moments that help add to it. Uh, Kendra? Yeah, I, I mean, the end of it, the fact that Scarecrow was like, oh, okay, this isn't going to stop me, and he goes right for the water source was actually quite genius on his part. But I want to step back for just a second, because upon rewatch of this one, the whole Harley knocking her, her dome off and subsequently, you know, blocking their path, to anybody else, did that feel completely disingenuous? Like, it didn't even feel like she was doing it because she felt like she needed to. She did it because she wanted a quick result with Ivy. And even even when she pauses before she does it, because she lines up the, the shot and then she 
stops and looks at Ivy like, okay, look, this is how selfless I am and then does it. I mean, she she's just like, can we be friends again? And for me, that was not necessarily the best. I mean, I, I understand she wants a quick resolution to the fight that they're having or to to the fear that's there, but I just it, it struck me wrong upon rewatch. And that I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on it as well. Seth? I did feel like she was trying to address the problem at the moment and not the problem as it's existed from the time they've known each other. And I agree with you that that was a, a temporary fix. It was like a bandage, right? You've got a gaping wound and you're like, I'm just going to put this bandage right there. Okay, there you go. All better. And you know, it's not better. In fact, you can see the bandage quickly, you know, swallowed by blood and not doing much. But in the moment, it's it's the effort and the thought. So there's a part of me that feels like, okay, she's trying. But another part of me that agrees with you and feels like, but she doesn't even know what she's trying to do. She just knows that, that she's trying. And that in that moment, that if she can just do anything, she's looking for that glimmer of hope and it doesn't bring about the result that anyone's hoping for. And yeah, Scarecrow just sort of like soldiers forth, but there's also that, that sense that like clearly Harley doesn't know what to do. She's looking to Ivy for answers. And in the middle of it, Ivy's looking at her and going, I've told you what my fear is. I just need you to show me something real. That's going to last. And clearly from the example that we were just talking about, Harley hasn't gotten that yet. She's trying to do the in the moment thing. And it's a valiant thought. It's a valiant effort. But it's not going to be the solution to the problem. The problem is going to take more work. And it's going to take more than just a singular gesture, no matter how selfless it attempts to be or how grand it hopes to be. Man, it's like building a pyramid. One brick at a time. It takes time, effort, patience, a lot of work, and it's slow going. So uh, Ivy is going to have to find a way to get Harley to understand that and learn how to put it into practice. But yeah, I agree with you, Kendra. There's a feeling that Harley's just trying to solve the moment because she really doesn't yet understand what the bigger issue actually is. How about you, Steve? I actually um, have to disagree again for a change because, again, on repeat viewing, I changed my mind because the first time I watched it, I did think that. I thought, hmm, Harley, are you really just doing this to, to try and show some kind of, uh, of means of getting Ivy back? But on second viewing, I actually thought, well, hang on, this is her highway. It's her design. She wanted a giant statue there just to prove that she could step out of Joker's shadow and be someone. So destroying that statue actually is a big deal to Harley and I actually think the hesitation was oh, fuck I love that thing do I want to destroy it and then she looks at Ivy and says actually for you yeah I do so I actually got the complete opposite reaction from this episode I actually thought no she's actually doing this for the right reason she has to stop Scarecrow that's a quick way of doing it it fucking hurts because she doesn't want to do it but for her crew for her team and for Ivy she has to so again it, it's brilliant and testament again to the fantastic writing that we can get so many different reactions from fans who, who love this show and this character so much so again thank you all for your insight and for, for your thoughts it's it's just brilliant 
and I love talking to you all. So, so great. Yeah. Another amazing episode. And as we say, every single week, every episode I watch becomes a favorite and rewatching them adds even more layers of depth and appreciation to the shows themselves. So as a final round, starting with Brad, anything we've missed, anything you want to talk about, any other moments or lines or things that stood out to you from the Harley Quinn highway, Brad. Uh, usually I have one, but with this episode, no, I think, I think we, we hit on everything and I just want to say that, yes, yeah, Steve, I actually, you know, I actually agree with you on the destroying the statue thing. I think you, you hit on some points that I think kind of stuck out to me that that was kind of, a a, a bit of a growth moment for her by destroying the statue. So I guess that's my, that's my final word on the episode. Uh, Kendra? I think this one hit for me on a lot of different different levels, especially on, on rewatch. And I, I think one of the main things that I take away from this episode is normally in any iteration of the Ivy and Harley relationship, we see Ivy, I don't want to say coddle, but it, it does kind of work. We see her kind of protect Harley, even from her own mind and what what ivy feels like needs to be said and for this episode i don't see any of that and i really did appreciate that with the writing because we finally get to see ivy not sugarcoat what's wrong with her and her actually finally saying you know this is me being honest with you because i feel like with your growth you should be able to accept it so for me that was a big thing um seth what about you life is a highway I want to ride it all night long. Oh, yeah. I had to let that out. It was just there. It's just been in my mind the whole time. Now, I can do the other part, but there's a dance and a harmonica, and I'm, I'm not going that far. Find the song for yourself. Listen along. Sing it back at me. I really felt like with this episode, we, we had a chance to kind of dig down a bit, just for a little bit, at where the roots of this team and this relationship between Harley and Ivy are stemming from. <clears throat> uh, and with all of that in mind, I, <laughs> I, I have to remember that this is a, a long road and sometimes it's easy to ask a lot of Harley and then it's just as important as it is easy to remember what she's gone through up until this point. Joker was a piece of shit. Her parents were pieces of shit. Her brother's dead. Most of the people she wants to impress could give a shit. And the one person she does care about, she keeps fucking it up over and over and over again. And sometimes, when it comes to the things you really care about, it's about how many times you're willing to fuck up royally over and over and over again, only to learn from your mistakes and make it up that you can find a way to prove to another person and yourself how much you're willing to do, how far you're willing to go for an idea as powerful as love or friendship. When it comes to this story, we're getting into the nitty gritty where there's still a lot of fun, but there's also some hard lessons, some hard realities. And because of that, and keeping in mind the wood panel van, I'm just going to say, lube, lube. Steve? <laughs> you, you, you lot are going to kill me, I swear. God, you all need help. But the, the one 
thing that I took away is that um, it, it goes right back to, to Harley's um, reaction. Why am I the, the thing you're most afraid of? Why, why, why? And her not getting it. And, and Kendra, you so beautifully put that she should know this shit better than anyone being a psychologist. What I see is the fact that these two women are arguing with each other like an old married couple. Because that's literally what they are. They're two people in love. They're two complete opposites in the other spectrum, but opposites attract and they complement each other. And where you said that Ivy's always mollycoddled Harley and she has, and this time she stood up and put her in her place. And Harley's always been like, oh, me, 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 me. But actually there's more than just me in this. And that whole turnaround and the two of them um, having to grow apart before they can come together and, Seth, the, the stuff you said, and Brad as well, about how that is life, how that is brilliant writing, how that is structurally amazing storytelling, that it does mirror every single thing we've ever done. The, the, the person we love the most, we want to impress the most, is the one we end up usually royally fucking up with every single time. And this is all in a 20-minute show with blood, guts, and more swears than should rightfully be allowed in any TV show. So... Kudos, Harley Quinn writers, talents and creative forces, actors, actresses and everything in between. This show fucking rocks. And that's my final thought on the matter there. So, guys, girls, thank you so much. Uh, Brad, Kendra, Seth, let's end the show as we always do by letting our readers and listeners know where they can find out more and when they can, where they can reach out to us. Brad. Uh, you can find me writing news reviews at dccomicsnews.com. I'm also uh, one of the contributors to the regular DC Comics News podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at DevourAllWords. I can also be found doing the reviews not only for the Harley Quinn comic series, uh, but also for the Harley Quinn's animated series uh, on DKN and... I also get to have fun on Fantastic Universes writing whatever the hell I want. Seth, what about you? (laughs) I uh, can be found in all sorts of unexpected places. But sticking with the expected, DC Comics News. Type my name in, read what I've written, you'll find some reviews, you'll find whatever you find. And then you can find me here with this great group every Friday. You can find me on our other weekly podcast program hanging out with brat steve kendra kelly the whole gang talking news and all sorts of fun stuff and if you're looking for me out in the social media world you can try me at one more singleton on twitter you can try me at set the writer on instagram but really check out my dogs bruno and fiji these days we all need to laugh a little bit of silly cuddling or some raucous play. I guarantee you'll find it all there. And really, sometimes they're just that much more interesting than I am. Steve, where can the good people find you, my friend? Woof. You can catch my (laughs) writing, my interviews, news and reviews across DC Comics News and our sister site, Dark Knight News, simply by going into the search engine of your choice and typing in the words Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universes for stuff that's not necessarily DC or comics related. And as for DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, you can find us on the internet and across social media everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, 
and Instagram. And this show, the main DC Comics News podcast, the Spinner Rack, where we try to inform you about what's great to read from DC this week. And this show and my own little baby, the I Am The Night podcast, where we break down Batman the Animated Series. All these shows and less can be found on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. So hit us up. Give us your thoughts. Let us know how great you think the show is because it is fucking great. I'm not arguing with you. Um, rate us and review us on the podcast app of your choice or contact me on Twitter at EL underscore S-T-E-E-V-O or where my fine feathered friends have said you can reach them. So that's another episode of Harley Quinn cast Mad Love. And I madly love all of my co-conspirators uh, in the can. So we'll see you all very soon. But until then, lady, gents, what does everyone out there really need to do? Read. More. Fucking comics. Fuck yeah. Catch you later. Three, two, one.